Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is Wednesday, December 9th, 2020. We're going to continue with our metamorphosis series as we know exactly what the Lord is trying to do us do in our lives and do inside of us. We've learned things like we go to the suffering king, and he is the answer for the Joab in us, that we must crucify that nature. Has anybody been finding a little Joab in your life? Has anybody been finding a lot of areas of Joab in your life? Yeah. See, but we also know that the answer for this, as through the suffering king, we learned how to progress through the shepherding king into everything that Abishai is. Starts off with all the same characteristics, the literal same DNA, but we know that shepherding helps and moves us beyond Joab and into something called Abishai. Church, what you should have heard tonight during our worship time is, is as we're going through these things, the idea is that we all start off at Joab. You can't lose heart. You can't stay there because God wants to help you along. He wants to strengthen you. And as a matter of fact, I can feel that God is going to strengthen you tonight. He's go you're going to be shepherded tonight. And you're going to move away from Joab, at least into Abishai. And if not, then you'll go all the way towards that superior king that shows us and encourages the Ittai inside of us. This is going to be a good night. Look at me, church. Look at me, women. Look at me, men. God is here to strengthen you this evening. God is here to help you this evening. You are going to be able to do and become what you are supposed to be able to become because he's with you and he is a good shepherd. He is a good king. He can take us all from where we are and move us to where we need to be. Amen. Come on, are you with us tonight? Hey, what our great shepherd is going to lead us to is that we're going to become a house full of Ittai's. A house full of men and women that are willing, whether life or death, to follow and become just like their king. That led us to wedding story. You guys remember wedding story? Man, what a fantastic model that we have throughout the word, particularly in Revelation chapter 5, 6, and 7, and 19, where we understand clearly God's goal is that us as the bride are to become exactly like our groom. Remember I say exactly? Exactly. See, in chapter 5, we illustrated how Jesus did it. How Jesus laid before us the model. In chapter 6, those that have gone before us, how they became just like the groom and suffering and then going on into glory. In chapter 7, we learn about our destiny, that we are also to become just like the groom in every single way, robed in white, fine linen, righteous acts of the saints. But don't forget where we started. In chapter 1, we learned this is what must soon take place. And take place where, church? In us. This is what must soon take place in us, which sets up the, the understanding of our whole series of metamorphosis. Isn't it good to know that God is helping you go through the process of changing? I'm not the same today that I was yesterday. And guess what? Tomorrow I'm going to change even more, becoming more like my groom. Well, I want you to understand something very fundamental from the wedding story. And that is, this entire story declares that our trials are not tragedy. They are only there to lead us to triumph. Say triumph with me. Triumph. This is where God is leading us and what we're going to build on for tonight. 
part of the pathway towards triumph is we have to go through, and there's a necessity of us facing danger. We actually began this concept all the way back at the One Association Conference. Our theme was Disciples Confronting Danger. This evening, we're going we're gonna to start there and understand the metamorphosis that takes place through this process. We want to explain to you why it's so important in our day and time and what God's aim for you is. Don't you like it when you understand what God's aim for you is? Yes. The title of our sermon tonight is Metamorphosis, Armed with Evidence. Say that with me, Armed with Evidence. Turn with us to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. When you can find it. First Peter chapter 4. Come on, say armed with evidence when you get there. Chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body. Well, that's an interesting way to start for us this evening. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with this same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, as a result, there's a result for the suffering that goes on. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Amen. I want to point out something to you tonight here, church, that Christ suffered in his body. This is not talking about some ethereal, phantom-like what the millennials in our day and time might call, call suffering when they don't get the latte order right at Starbucks. This is actual suffering in the body. This is a real, tangible evidence that is producing in, in the life. And what's more important is not only was it done in Christ's physical body, but Christ's body will also have to suffer. Does that make sense? That if that's what he physically had to do, he was laying out the pattern, and we are Christ's body. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, you're supposed to arm yourself. Come on. Come on, Texas. So glad to live in Texas, where there are more guns than there are human beings in this state. You don't want to invade Texas. You might not be able to make it back out if you ever tried. Because we're a group of people who've decided to arm themselves. Where's Bim at? You ready for this? How much more? Yeah, he's feeling it now. How much more should we arm ourselves with the attitude that Jesus Christ had? To suffer in the body is to be done with sin. Come on now, we all want to have the joy of being able to conquer sin, but the pathway to that is to go through suffering, purging every last ounce of Joab out of us, getting all the evil desires, the self-determined prerogatives, the self-determined directions that we have. This is how you get rid of it. This is so that the rest of your earthly life is actually lived for the will of God. Come on, I know that this is a church of people who want to live for the will of God. Can somebody give me a good amen if that's true? Amen. The way that you are going to do that is you are going to arm yourselves by looking at suffering and saying, yes, that's what I want because it's what Christ did. Come on, let's keep going and take a look at verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. 
They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. See, we, we've spent enough time, but let me put it in context of what we're talking about tonight. We've spent enough time living to escape suffering. That is walking around unarmed with evidence. See, it is a, a human response, a base response, that anytime something hurts, what are you going to do? Get away from it. Yeah, you're going to say, ouch. But you want to pull away, draw away from what is difficult. But what we see here is that we are going to spend no more time running away from suffering. We're to run to the very same attitude, to arm ourselves with the very same attitude that Christ had. Because we know exactly what the goal of that suffering is. And here's the thing. When you begin to have the right perspective of suffering, everyone else around you that is spending their time escaping from suffering, spending their time carousing, indulging in their sinful nature in whatever shape or form, they are going to oppose you. They are going to rail against you. They might even look at you and say that you are part of a cult. Why would you willingly go and suffer certain things when you don't really have to? There's another way out of this. It's an easier way. They'll heap abuse, but here's the thing. We are a living and walking example of how they need to be armed with that same attitude because there is an end goal that's going to produce. Let's take a look at verse 7. It says this, the end of all things is near. If this was the case when Peter was writing this book, how much more is this the case now? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, be alert. Be alert. Look at the other neighbor that you didn't want to talk to and say, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Therefore, be alert and of a sober mind so that you may pray. See, this is the culmination of the ages that we're driving to, church. Can you see it? Can you see? There's something that the Lord has set before us. No wonder people in this room are discouraged. No wonder we need prophecies from the heavens that say, you reach up to Him. You being out of your own strength is not a bad thing. It's not a tragedy. It might cause the greatest triumph of your entire life. Because when you reach out to him and get the strength that he offers, you are able to succeed. You are able to be a part in the culmination of the ages. Be alert, church. Be armed, church. Be of sober mind. Because you're going to get armed with evidence tonight. Come on, think about it. If you see Counselor, Counselor Phillips in the, in the room, when he goes to court, he needs a preponderance of evidence. He works on it, and he works on it, he gathers and gathers. This is exhibit A. This is exhibit 7. He keeps going because he wants to have a preponderance. It's almost like he needs to be armed with evidence before he goes before the judge. This is what you're going to be tonight. Look at me say, I am going to be, going to be armed, with evidence. armed with evidence. The scripture says so that you may pray. Let's pray. Raise your hands right now. Mighty God, may the power of your spirit be upon us tonight. May it awaken us and shake us from our sleep. May it shake us from our fears. 
from the voices inside of us that say, we can't do this. Our hands are weak. Our knees are feeble. We can't make it. In Jesus' name, may our minds be alert tonight. May our hearts be sober. And may we be armed with the evidence of the heavens that you are making us into exactly what you are. Lord, we honor you and we praise you. We thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to walk our way through many verses here in Thessalonians. We're going to start off in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 1. There we go. Now, brothers and sisters, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For we know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Hmm. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. Hmm. Now we're making a distinction. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Do you hear the certainty of this? They will not escape. See, the wrath of God will destroy people who believe that they are secure, that they're resting in peace and in safety. But the entire thief in the night is not intended for us, the true body, the ones that are becoming like the groom. You see, the destruction comes on them suddenly. They won't escape because they've been living in the dark, fully asleep, without sobriety, and not have been armed with evidence of what God is leading to in the triumph. Anybody remember the, the video series back, back in the day about the thief in the night? Yeah, what a ridiculous notion. The thief in the night concept is not for us. It's for them who think that they can do it a different way and they find peace and safety in some other way than what the Bible has prescribed. Look at verse 4. But you, brothers... Are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Oh, look at that. Christ coming back should not be a surprise. The culmination of the ages, what he's directing us towards, is not supposed to be a surprise to us. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others. Man, that's a good phrase. It's not just for your kids, right? Well, Dad, I want to do this. No. Sutherlands, we don't live that way. Yeah, but everybody else is doing it. It's almost like that's good advice, but not just for the little ones in your household. It's great advice for us. Let us not be like the others. Yes, but there's some comfort in being like the others, isn't it? Can you be honest and you understand that there's comfort in being like other people? That's not the comfort that we're supposed to find. So then, let us not be like others, because they're asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Putting on faith, putting on love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Church, you are not of those who are in darkness. You shouldn't be surprised that you're going to have to go through difficulty. You're going to have to become armed with the evidence of suffering in your life. You can't be like others because they're asleep. 
There is, why would you want to be like someone who's not being successful in the kingdom? See, these people are living in darkness and they're not spiritually sober. But that's not you tonight. That's not what God has called LCM to be. Let's take a look at verse 9. You know, before we read that, what's the title of our sermon again? Armed with evidence. See, when you're walking and living as a son and daughter of the light, you're walking around with a mountain of evidence of God's character, his plan, and what he's going to accomplish. But what does that look like in the eyes of those who are asleep, who are drunk, who are not sober? They're drunk on a different gospel. I don't just mean someone that is worldly and excessive heathen. I mean those who call themselves believers but do not hold to the gospel that rightly understands suffering and what it's accomplished. You look like a heretic. You look like a fool. But when you look at the consistency of the word, you are arming yourself with evidence of God's ability to triumph in what other people call tragedy. You, you don't have to suffer this much. No, no, no. I'm going to arm myself with the same attitude that my king did because when I do, I know and I'm certain I'm going to become just like him. I'm going to rule and reign with him. And that means that all the days of my life, I am packing around a mountain of evidence underneath my arm. And everyone mocks me. Everyone ridicules who I am in my way of life. My certainty of what God will do will never change. Because eternity is at stake. Let's look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Make sure we get this very clear. He did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You see, the wrath is set in contrast to salvation. Do you all see that within this verse? And it has nothing to do with temporal circumstances. The presence or lack thereof of tribulation. Our destiny is to become like the groom and receive salvation. Whether we are alive or even those that have gone before us, we will live together with him. Encouraging us towards the end goal. But I want to just remind you of something. The Jewish historical imagery suggests this very same thing. Egyptians living in darkness and eternally destroyed in the plague of the firstborn is set in contrast with the Jews living in the light of Goshen. Those that were appointed for salvation eternally because of the blood of the lamb. That this one little section inside of Egypt were the children of God that were armed with the evidence of God's character, who he said he was and that he would come through. That through their obedience, by putting the lamb's blood on their doorpost, eating the lamb in haste with bitter herbs and unleavened bread, that demonstrated an evidence that they were armed with of what God would do. And as in the midst of God's wrath, they would experience salvation. Church, we want to make sure that you understand there is a wrath that's coming from God, and that's judgment for those who will not bend their knee to him. But that doesn't mean that we don't have difficulties. And we're going to make this abundantly clear to you. You are free from the wrath of God. 
You have been set free. You are not appointed to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the way that that comes to fulfillment is, is there are difficulties in our life. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, and let's make this even more clear to you. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9, it says, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. Yeah. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Church, this letter begins, the, the letter to the Thessalonians, written by Paul and Silas and Timothy. Wow. Three men. The very first four words in the book of Thessalonians is Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church in Thessalonia. These men are saying it begins with that Jesus Christ is the one that rescues us from the coming wrath. Meaning that eternal judgment, not their present difficulties or tribulations. That distinction has to be core in our hearts. If this were not so then the presence of suffering in our daily lives and in their daily lives would have been seen as coming wrath. But it wasn't. The tribulations are not tragedies. They are the method of triumph in our life. Amen. See, in fact, they understood it and they knew that it was an honor to suffer difficulties. They knew that it was an honor to go through tribulations. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. So we're still in the same book. But the we, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we declare to tell you his gospel, get this, in the face of strong opposition. These guys were armed with evidence of who God was, his plan, and they didn't back up from sharing the gospel in the face of strong opposition. See, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were being treated outrageously in Philippi, and it was seen as an accolade and a proof of their sincere faith. By standing up and preaching the truth of who God is in the face of strong opposition and outrageous persecution it proved the genuineness of their message and of their faith. It also proved the genuineness of their metamorphosis. Well, think about this. Whenever you are preaching the gospel with actions and with words, and someone at work or somebody in your family is strongly opposing you, saying whatever, spreading whatever rumors and, and, and heresies about you, and you stand firmly on the evidence of what God has genuinely done to transform your life. You are immovable. And you are declaring to them the pure, sincere, and authentic gospel. In fact, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Let me read this to you. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Do you get this? Granted. Now, most people's minds go to the granting of uh, 
being able to believe in him, being able to receive salvation, goodness and grace and everything else in between. But on equal ground of receiving salvation, being transformed by the Lord, you have been given the wondrous, glorious opportunity to suffer right alongside of him. This is the kindness from our groom that helps arm us with evidence of his character and who he is. Absolutely. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 2 and let's look at verse 14. This is the same struggle that Paul is telling to the church at Philippi saying, this is the same struggle that you saw me have. I'm still having it. I've been set free from the wrath of God, but I'm still having difficulties. You've seen it in me is what Paul's saying. Look at 2.14 of 1 Thessalonians. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's church in Judea. Where are they again? They are in Thess Thessalonica. They're across a body of water. They're in a different country because the gospel is spreading. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's church where we began in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things. Somebody say same things. Same things. The same things that those churches suffered from the Jews. Why? Because suffering was expected. Suffering was the norm as you are transformed into what Christ is and to what his true followers are. I know this is difficult. We all are quick to agree. Yes. And there's a tension that I can feel in the room of people going, I don't want to hear this message. Pastor, y'all are like, no, it's not me. It's them. <laughs> now, I, I, I can feel it. We know that it's right. We're walking through it in an ironclad, scriptural kind of way. But because suffering is expected still doesn't mean that we want it in ourselves. But we're becoming like him. We're being transformed into what he is. We don't retract. We don't push back from this. We press into it because it's the suffering of what Christ is. And anyone who's becoming like him must do this. This was never seen as God's wrath. Has anybody had a difficult day ever and you were like, God, are you mad at me? Yes. <laughs> Gone through a difficult season and you're like, this is ridiculous. Are you mad at me? Let's expel that from your thinking. Look at me. Expel it from your thinking. If he's mad at you, I promise you he will let you know. I wonder if my daddy's mad at me. I don't know. Look at him in the face and see if he's huffing and puffing. He is not a capricious God that is trying to make you guess if he wants to punish you. That's the wrath of God. We're saying that difficulties make us to look more like him and we invite them. It's never been seen as God's wrath, but rather the result of sincere belief in God. If you are going to be real about this, you are going to have to go through difficulties. It was even an accreditation showing the sincerity of their actual belief. <clears throat> Why do you think we rail so hard against, as a church, the raising of a pinky to say that you're a believer? The, the 
uh, elevator speech that in 30 seconds someone starts off as a heathen and becomes what you are. The reason that we mock that is because it's false and it should be mocked. We're trying to get you to understand that the real gospel requires an absolute transformation in someone's life, and it's through the vehicle of suffering. See, you've got to be armed with the evidence that happens through suffering. It was his own people. These men are speaking to the church here, and they're saying it happened to you just like it happened to the Jews there in Judea. This is the way that it's going to happen. It's always going to be from your own people that look at you. Anybody had their family members look at you crazy the more that you're here at this church? I got, I got two hands up for that one. This is always the way it is from your own people, from the ones who, who think they know you best, from your own actual flesh and blood family that says, why aren't you more committed to us than to them? This is just a small part of it. But we take these things as the accreditation yes. that God is with us. An accreditation that our faith is actually sincere because it looks the exact same way it did in the days of Jesus. This is what we're working towards. Take a look at the very next verse. Verse 15, they displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always keep up, keep heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. You see, in the same way that sufferings are an accolade for real believers, continued opposition and persecution of believers is seen as storing up wrath for those who persecute them. Do you guys get that? See, we, we read earlier, it's been granted to us to suffer for his name. And that as we are standing with him, becoming like him, receiving persecution, receiving suffering, as a means of being armed with evidence that God's salvation will be provided for us, it also stands as evidence that his wrath will come upon them if they do not repent and follow Jesus and become like him like we are. See, it is a, an evidence that they will be eternally punished, even if their lives seem free of trouble right now. See, this is the deceptive part. Deceptive part is you internally or maybe even externally say, why is everything so difficult for me? Ever since I was born again, spirit filled, start coming to LCM, all hell has broken loose, uh, broken loose on me. And to my family, to my friends, to those who persecute me, they think that I am absolutely crazy for being this intensely in love with Jesus. Their lives are free from financial woes. They don't have the health issues that we do. When they go and try to do something for Jesus, it's overwhelmingly accepted and, you know, raving reviews. I'm serious. But when you look at the authentic gospel throughout the word, what you see is a clear evidence that every man reaps what he sows. In the midst of suffering, I have the ability to be armed with evidence that results in joy. Right? 
the testimony that it is to lift up my head and put a big old smile on my face and begin to praise the name of Jesus. That's declaring to the heavenly realms and to all those that persecute that I am standing in the presence and in the will of God, and I am demonstrating trust that God will come through. But I want to touch on something real quick. When we think of suffering for the name of Jesus, we put in a lot of different categories outside of just our daily life. And what your pastors are doing tonight is we're bringing it to a reality of what it looks like today. If we avoid correction now and run from it, then we're going to avoid suffering for the name of Jesus then. That's the reality. If you can hold your head up and love and look forward to correction right now, it will guarantee the right kind of metamorphosis inside of you that will stand firm on that day and day after day that you really need to stand up for the name of Jesus. It begins to refine our soul. It purges away the Joab. It enables us to be shepherded as Abishai and reach that place of Ittai where we are standing as men and women of God that bear the name of Jesus with joy in the midst of suffering. Church, if you look at this last phrase, what Pastor Matt just has given you is solid gold. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Be careful looking with your own eyes and presuming where someone is standing. The wrath of God. You would think that with that kind of statement, someone would literally burst into flames before you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you that the time when God determines that wrath will come upon somebody and the actual fulfillment of that may be a decade? Yeah. Maybe two decades? When did God determine that Saul would not be king? Early in his reign. Yeah. And 38 years later, it was fulfilled. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Does it mean that you see the fulfillment? No. But it means that their path has been determined. That's the silliness of our modern day that thinks that everyone, that it's God's desire. And, and he's going to forgive everyone. Of course he's not. There's some that the wrath, his wrath has come upon. And it's, you're just waiting to see it fulfilled. We've got to be careful at who we're looking at and evaluating. These people are having struggles. Clearly, they must not be doing it right. These people look successful. They must be doing it right. Yeah. Let's not be so childish in our faith to think that we can measure these things by our own eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look at chapter 3 and verse 2. Be careful at measuring your own life based on the difficulty or ease thereof. So we know better, but in the difficult days, we're like, Ugh. we walk around as if there's a thousand pounds upon our shoulders. We see it when you guys walk in the room. We're like, whoa, whoa, Rob must have had a bad day. Why? Because he looks just like Andrew. He's, he's standing up bright, right? He's, he's, he's in, a, in a great, great spot today. I'm just, I'm picking on my brother. 
be careful because we should go. You know what today was? Today was ridiculously difficult. He's making me to be more like him. This is going to cause my triumph. I hated every second of my day today. It was awful. I was fighting with my wife. I was fighting with my kids. My dog bit me. The mailman just threw my stuff in the... It was a great day. Because I've been chosen and granted the privilege to suffer for him. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 2. We sent Timothy who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. We don't have Timothy here before you. We've got Pastor Matt and Pastor Wade with you tonight. We've been sent to you so that no one would be unsettled by the trials that you're going through. For you know quite well, this is what we are destined for. <laughs> yes, we're destined for it. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. We are promising you that you're going to have difficult days ahead. No wonder you don't have your, your church building stuffed full of people. It's going to be hard for you, Christian. Rejoice. Because that is the pathway to triumph. That is the pathway to becoming like the groom. I told you we would be persecuted and it turned out that way, as you well know. <laughs> what are they saying? They're like, yep, we told you it would be hard and it's hard. Just like we promised. See, all believers are destined for trials and persecution. And the Bible never sets another expectation. And yet every man and every woman in this room has had a different expectation from day to day. Yeah. It gets difficult and we start squirming and worming our way trying to get out of it. These difficulties are our destiny. We don't want to leave the conflict. We want to be transformed into what the groom is. The certainty of persecution is in fact... That you're gaining the evidence. You are arming yourself because you're enduring the trial. You're enduring the persecution. And it is showing. It is an accolade. It is evidence. It's the proof that what you have on the inside of you is real. Come on now. This is the right word for us tonight. Look at 2 Thessalonians. This continues into the next letter. Look at chapter 1 and verse 4. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Yeah. And this is an accolade. This is a, a moment of praise that Paul has for this church. You know, trials and persecutions that are endured in faith become proof of the sincerity of your faith. Let me say it again. Trials and persecutions that are endured in faith become proof of the sincerity of your faith. This is something you are to hold your head up. It's, a, it's an honor. It's a joy whenever trials and persecutions come. It's let me know that my faith is real. You know, as we've been building in this understanding, what Paul wrote in the previous letter, what Pastor Wade just, just read. Isn't he a good pastor? 
by letting them know up front about the trials they're going to face? That's what we're trying to imitate as your pastors. I would rather somebody tell me up front that I'm about to get kicked right in the face. It's going to hurt really, really bad. They're going to do it multiple times, but God's going to get glory out of it. See, I told you they're going to kick you in the face. Amen. This is the reason why whenever trials come and someone isn't armed with evidence, they begin to give up hope in God. They weren't told the right gospel from the beginning. They were told that they were not going to suffer, that they were going to exit and escape out of it. And I'm not just talking about end times. I mean now on a daily basis that a Christian doesn't experience hardships. It's just the opposite. Christians are defined by enduring hardships. That is what proves that our faith in Messiah King is real. Let's look at verse 5. All this. Somebody say all this. All this. All this is evidence. The fact that we can boast about this church here, about the perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials. That's what Pastor Matt read in verse 4. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, somebody say result. Result. Come on, here comes the verdict. Here's the result. You'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Amen. For which you are suffering. Yes. This is evidence, church. This is what we need. We're looking at it as an accolade, not as a difficulty. We're looking at it as a triumph, not a tragedy. We've got accommodations that are coming from the heavens that we are worthy of the kingdom that we profess. How would you live? How would this church, what would this church look like if every man and woman actually stood and said, I am worthy of the kingdom of God? How, how do you know? How could you say that? Shouldn't you always be questioning? I am armed with evidence. Come on, look at me when I go through difficulties. I hate it just like the next guy, but part of me, the right part of me, loves it. I'm rejoicing in it. I've been proven. I have the result, the verdict, that I've been counted worthy of the kingdom of God, and that's why I'm suffering. The result of being armed with the evidence of suffering is that you are counted worthy. See, the letters to the Thessalonians make this unequivocally clear. When you are suffering for the kingdom... Not your own stupidity. Amen. When you are suffering for the kingdom, you're being armed with the evidence of an actual, true, real metamorphosis. It's like you actually have the life-changing power of God at work in you, and you can see it. Come on, church. This is exactly what we need. When you begin to get the right heart and attitude about suffering, seeing it as being armed with evidence that you've been transformed, you're getting that much closer to being like Ittai. You're getting that much closer to demonstrating a life that is sold out for the king, whether life or death. It doesn't matter. I was a dead man when the king found me, but I'm alive because he welcomed me into his kingdom. When every single person in this room, you've experienced that life-transforming power. And I don't mean just years or, or, or decades ago. 
I mean on a daily basis. When I woke up this morning, I experienced life-changing, transformational power. I need the Lord's help to put to death my Joab. I need the Lord's help to remind me that everything that I suffer, outside of my own stupidity, is evidence. It's arming me with evidence that God's character and nature is dwelling within me, and God is certainly going to get glory out of it. See, we don't believe in escape. We believe in the necessity of evidence. What pastor talked earlier about counselor Keith Phillips. I can imagine him walking up the steps of a courthouse, not only with a bundle of evidence under his arm, but toting one of those little file carriers that's loaded down. Step by step, click, 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 and not dropping a paper. That's how expert level he is. Wanting, confidently strutting into the courtroom without hesitation presenting that evidence before the judge because he is armed with evidence knowing that he is right, knowing that he is just, knowing that he is going to win. You know the kind of attitude that we have? We see the necessity of suffering because we are armed with the evidence of the outcome of suffering. That we are not afraid to go into suffering because we are certain that we're going to win every single time. Church, we cannot be of those who try to escape. There's all kind of false teachings that want to talk about escaping from any difficulties. I'll fly away, oh glory. I grew up singing it. I grew up believing it. But when I understood this principle, it fixed every part of that. I began to long for the difficulties. Getting this principle wrong fundamentally skews the believer's expectations and the accreditation of your faith. The proof, the accolade, the accreditation, the accommodations, whatever words that you want to add to it, it's the proof, it's the evidence that you've been armed with the right thing. Let me encourage you. That a rapture teaching is probably not the thing that, that is getting most of us in this room tripped up. But an escapism is still at work inside of us. Yeah. Oh, I, I know the rapture is the, one of the most unbiblical things that's ever come about. Wasn't even in church history until about 1830. See, our problem isn't as much the rapture teaching as it is us wanting to escape from any persecution that we're in now. It's a mentality of rapture without the official teaching of rapture. Come on, church. We can't have an escapism mentality. You guys are just sadists. You're just, you're just want difficult. I wouldn't agree with that word, but we want the difficult things because we know that it proves our faith. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we must have. Look, we're going to go through some scriptures here with you as we get ready to close. We're going we're gonna to go quickly through some passages of scripture to help you see that it's not only in Thessalonians, but it's a much broader picture. This attitude, we cannot be escapists. We cannot be looking for escapism, that every time something is difficult, we've got to have something that gets us away from it. We've got to have some escape. We've got to get out of it. I just need a little bit more time. I just need a little bit more rest. I just need a little bit something else. And we stay perpetually unhappy in our entire life because we're trying to get away from the difficult things that are before us. 
Turn with us to Revelation 14 and see this as it's working. Say armed with evidence when you get there. The truth is what you're really escaping from is the very thing that will bring about metamorphosis. Revelation 14, verse 9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out, poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image. Or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God. Who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. In this passage, the wrath of God is clearly identified as eternal judgment. Did y'all get that? In the same passage, a blessing is pronounced for those who patiently endure while keeping the commands and remaining faithful. The church throughout the book of Revelation is presented as victoriously giving their lives in order to remain faithful to God. Just as Jesus, our King, did as the model. Sufferings are the instrument of proving faithful in the life of Christ and his followers. It's what he did. And if we're becoming one with him and as he is, it's what we must do as well. Church, turn with us to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, let's look at verse 23. Daniel 7 and verse 23 says this. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The second half of the book of Daniel gives an incredible look at some things that are so pertinent to our lives, we just don't have time to get into it right now. Verse 24, the ten horns are the ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High. Uh-oh. And oppress his holy people. Wait. See, if you don't understand that difficulties are not tragedies in our life, then you look at this and be like, this is not fair. How can God's people have difficulties put on them? It's because it's always, this is what we've been talking to you about all evening. We're showing you in an eschatological way. Kidneys. We're showing you in a biblical way that this is what exactly is what is going to take place. It's what's always taking place. It's from the beginning through the end. They tried to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and a half a time. That's three and a half years. 
But the court will sit and his power will be taken away completely and destroyed forever. We know the end of the story. But it doesn't change the necessity of suffering. It doesn't change, no matter where you are in the timeline, what the importance of these. Because the trials aren't tragedies. They're the ultimate triumph of the bride of Christ. Endurance, not escapism, is the point of any prophetic writing that you have. It's showing you how to muster your strength. It's showing you how to stand firm amongst difficult times. It's saying that you can be amongst the people who are judged and you can still stand and endure because of his presence with you. Come on, that is a powerful, powerful understanding that endurance is what we need. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at verse 9. There you go. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Man. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, that thing spoken by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. We see the culmination of events here. That as the nearing of Jesus' return approaches, it doesn't get less suffering, less trials and tribulation. It gets more. And you see things converge. The first thing you should understand is that Jesus never taught escapism, right? Put this next to your prayer, Jabez book. <laughs> blessings, blessings, blessings. Yes, this kind of blessing that I get to be handed over to be persecuted and put to death for the name of Jesus. Yes. This is what's granted to me. One of the adjustments that we need to make is that one of the major signs of the end is both an increase in martyrdom and an increase in apostasy. As trials and tribulations increase and the people of God are put to death, handed over to be put in prison and persecuted, that more people will abandon the faith then than before. The necessity to have the right perspective, to be armed with the evidence of suffering, it ensures that we will stand firm until the end. Yes. It will ensure that we will proclaim this gospel and preach it around the word, world as a testimony to all nations in the midst of trials and tribulations. I cannot wait. We cannot wait until everything is easy to go reach the region of a swan. 
We actually look forward to stepping in situations that are even increasingly difficult because I am sure that the real church of God will emerge and the real gospel from God will be preached. Church, in Daniel 7, God's people were handed over. In Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking and he's referring to the very same passages and he's saying, you're going to be handed over to difficulties. You're going to be handed over to persecution. You're going to be handed over to martyrdom. But if you're not willing to be handed over to difficulty, then he will not be able to hand over his kingdom to you. This is what's always been encouraging to the body of Christ. We don't have time. We're, we're going to wrap this up here very quickly. In Acts 14, it says that they went around and they strengthened the believers, telling them, telling them that we're going to have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This was the encouragement that Paul brought around to the people that he had raised up, to the elders that he had planted, to the disciples that were being made. You know what your encouragement is? It's going to be difficult. If you're going to enter into the kingdom, it is going to be a difficult thing, but you are going to be able to do it. This is the triumph that awaits you. Revelation 7. Revelation 7, that every nation, every people, every tribe, every language is represented. Represented by, by whom? Represented by those who have gone through tribulations, being obedient to death, going through the suffering, and are standing there clothed in their wedding garments, arrayed in white garments. Let me read to you Revelation seven thirteen. Then one of the elders said to me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? Which is what is said about many of us. Who are you and where in the world do you come from? You seem like an alien. Yes, it's because I'm from a different kingdom than you are. But you can be what I am. This is what the, the great hope is. 14 says, I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. The great tribulation. Can it, let me read it to you the way it is in the Greek order of the words. Come out the of tribulation the great. These people... We're so used to going through their daily tribulation that when the great tribulation, unparalleled, the most that the history of mankind will ever see, more than the Holocaust, more than any war that you can think about, more, it's the great tribulation. They came through it. They were able to withstand it because they were being and walking through the tribulation of their daily lives and they were able to triumph there and they were able to triumph no matter the tribulation that was before them. Revelation 7 is a picture of the triumph, the victory of the church because it produced men and women who did exactly what they were supposed to do, who were able to withstand the trials and withstood it with such great character that they resembled their groom. They were transformed. They experienced the metamorphosis into what the groom is. This is where we are tonight, church, that both Jew and Gentile alike, one singular bride. Isn't there a different way? No. 
can we do this? Isn't, shouldn't we have to, can't we do it a little bit easier version of this? No. You want to be counted in the Hebrews 11 hall of, hall of faith? You can't do less than what they did. You want to be a part of the bride that's wearing white? Then you can't do less than what he did. There is a singular path here. Church, you're not destined for the wrath of God, but you are destined for trials. You are destined for persecution in every way. And we've got to change our heart to understand that this is the triumph of the heavens. This is what we're armed with. This is the evidence that we can possess. Turn with us to 1 Peter chapter 4 as we close. We'll read this passage again. And as we do, we're going to help put together the pieces of what we shared since the beginning of the message. Because what God is doing and has been doing since day one is that in this house and in one association, he's building his body of believers that will stand in the midst of suffering. Would you want to stand next to someone that is going to give up in the middle of a trial and tribulation? We're not going to even be that kind of person. And the way that we prepare for that is that we get the greater understanding of the entirety of the goal of God's plan for his church. And that's for him to display his glory through his bride in the midst of suffering, trials, and tribulations. So 1 Peter 4, verse 1 again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. What we're saying to you and saying to us and anyone listening to this message is, church, in the name of Jesus, arm yourself with the evidence of suffering. Arm yourself with this very attitude that Christ has. The apostles themselves were armed with that same attitude. They rejoiced when they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. Sons of God, arm themselves with this attitude that Christ had. Because you know the evidence of suffering causes us to consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. Yeah. I want you to have this attitude. Drill it down deep in your soul. Prepare for suffering and have a response. This will not, will not compare to the glory that will be revealed. That's the glory that will be revealed when I'm resurrected, but also the glory that will be revealed when God chooses in my, my daily life. It's my responsibility to have this attitude. See, Jesus had this attitude, and he was made perfect by what he suffered. When we have the same attitude, we can be certain that we will also be made perfect. That's a certainty that gives us hope, that we can rejoice now in the midst of suffering. 
and prevent ourselves from being deceived that it occurs any other way. Church, stand to your feet with me. I want to put one other scripture. Megan, let's do Colossians 1, 24. It says this, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Somebody say now. Now. Now, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Church, I don't have to ask you if you need to get better at rejoicing in trials and tribulations. You don't have to ask me either. Of course we need to get better at that. But I feel by the unction of the Holy Spirit right now. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking. There are some of you who have been so dealing with an escapism in your heart. You're pushing against it. You're fighting against it. You're shrinking back from it in a way. And there needs to be a time of repentance in your own heart about this. What does suffering do? It allows you to fill up in your flesh. It allows you to fill up inside of your own life what is still lacking in regards to Christ's suffering in you. When you embrace this, when you get rid of the escapism and you arm yourself with this kind of evidence, you are then able to fill up what is lacking inside of you. Why? For the sake of this body. For the sake of his church. And that allows you to be able to rejoice in what he's doing. We're going to take communion here in just a second. But we need to take a few moments and pray because you're not supposed to eat or drink of the cup in an unworthy fashion. For you to come down, being, having been fighting against what God's really doing in your life, you'll just drink judgment upon yourself. You'll just eat judgment upon yourself. We're going to take a moment and we're going to give you an opportunity. The specific call that I have is if you are in need of actual repentance before God himself. repentance you've been fighting against the Lord you've been calling it other things but the truth is is you're trying to stay away from anything that resembles difficulty and it's actually bringing difficulty upon you but it's going to eventually look like the wrath of God in your life instead of the tribulations that purify you we're going to take a few moments and pray and then we're going to get to communion together mighty God right now 
May a spirit of repentance come upon this church. A spirit of repentance now in this house. Forgive us, Lord. Let there be a spirit of repentance here now. We can't get to the rejoicing because we've been too stubborn and stuck in our own way. May a spirit of repentance be upon us now, mighty God. For how we've treated you. For how we've treated your body. For how we've treated our spouses. For how we've treated our families. Sovereign Lord, we want to be and need to be armed with the evidence of suffering. And first, here in this place tonight, we must repent of our rebellious ways. Move upon our hearts tonight, mighty one, in Jesus' name.